Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. Welcome back, Sports Radio 94 WIP. This is the Midday Show. Hugh Douglas, Joe Giglio, 215-592-9494. Get your board. We'll get to all your phone calls here. Your take on yesterday, feeling better or worse after the Sixers hold on and win game number four in overtime. Let's talk to Kyle Newbeck of Philly Voice. And of course, the Clap Your Hands podcast about a series that is now tied 2-2. Kyle, how you doing today? Kyle! I'm hanging in there, guys, after a uh, wild Sunday afternoon in South Philadelphia. <laughs> so, so, Kyle, take me through your thought process. In that old, when the, the waning moments of the fourth quarter, what were you thinking? I mean, what a roller coaster of emotions for everybody in that building. We go from, man, this is like a solid, no-nonsense win for the Sixers to, oh, my God, this is one of the worst fourth quarter choke jobs of all time. And then you emerge from it saying – you know, this is a James Harden legacy game. You know, all the grief that he rightfully took after games two and three when he didn't really have anything going, that guy went out there and saved their season on Sunday, and that's what they brought him here to do is have games like that in the playoffs. When, when I watched that game yesterday, and, and, and I wonder if you see it the same way, I saw two guys, Joel Embiid and James Harden, figure out a way to coexist with one another like on the fly. Did you see it that way? I, yes. I thought it was, it was an amazing example of what they can do when they're just, you know, bought in and they trust each other. And it's not a my turn, your turn style of offense. It's we're going to do this together. And, you know, a lot of that, I think, honestly, credit belongs to James because I think if James doesn't have a, a heroic performance yesterday – that might have ended up being a defining game in Joel Embiid's career in a bad way because of how he played down the stretch. And, and look, that's the point of going out and getting a co-star. You need the other guys sometimes to pick you up when you're down. And, you know, we've seen Joel do that for James for a lot of times this season. And yesterday, James certainly went out there and picked Joel up while he was in the middle of a tough moment. With that being said, because my co-host had pointed that out this morning, a lot of people were kind of like down on him a little bit. What, do you, what exactly do you mean when you say that would have been a bad game for, for uh, Joel Embiid? So that fourth quarter, I thought the first two and a half, three quarters or so was great from Joel Embiid. And then he very clearly ran out of gas. And Al Horford just completely outplayed him for most of the fourth quarter. I believe he shot one for six in the fourth quarter, three of those five misses were Al Horford blocking him on three separate possessions. And all those old playoff demons, Boston Celtics demons came rushing back. And, you know, look, I'll give Joel credit for this. After P.J. Tucker got in his ear with about a minute to go in that game, Joel kind of snapped back into it. He had a couple nice plays in, uh, in overtime. He had a, a bucket taken away on a charge call that I thought was dubious at best. So he did snap back to it. But the only reason he had a chance to leave his imprint on the game in, the, in overtime was because James gave him a chance to do so. Kyle, you mentioned some of those moments in the fourth quarter and the, and the stats there. For me, yes, the blocks and, and the lack of, lack of lift by Joel was, was worrisome. But there was a possession. It might have been right before uh, P.J. chewed him out where – he pretty quickly, and a double wasn't even there yet, passed the ball to Tobias. Like, 
It's one thing if Harden's open, obviously, like he was in overtime. Good pass by Joel. Give it to James yeah. Harden. He's not. Or even Maxi, right? Like Tyrese Maxey's built up enough goodwill in his progression as a player that I, okay, give him the ball. But like for, late in the fourth quarter, I don't want the MVP of the league handing the ball to, to Tobias Harris. It felt like after those blocks, like almost like Joel didn't want the ball in his hands in the big spot. Yeah, and, and look, I was glad to see him snap out of that fairly quickly. But it was a reminder, too, I think, that a lot of the great big men in history, like I go back to the guy I grew up when I was a kid was Shaq and him and Kobe. During those Shaq and Kobe years in L.A., as dominant as Shaq was, there were moments late in games where either he's in foul trouble or he's wearing down because the guy's, you know, 300 pounds running up and down the floor all night where he needs his guard, his perimeter star, to go out there and pick him up and get important buckets and so on and so forth. And Joel's never really had that guy. I mean, he had Jimmy Butler for a year, and, and certainly that partnership worked really well. But I don't. Joel has never gotten a performance like James gave them last night or, or yesterday in the middle of the day from a, a co-star or another guy on his team in the playoffs. And I think that's the biggest difference between this year and years past. You know, Kyle, I know you, you, gotta, you probably got to stay neutral in this situation, but I'm going to ask anyway. Because yesterday I felt like there was a lot going on in, this, in that game. I think it was a defining moment for the Sixers. So I'm going to ask you just flat out. Three games left. Do the, do the Sixers exercise their demon and get over the hump? So I still tend to think Boston is the slightly better team. But I do think you see, okay, this, this is the difference. This is a team that – all the chips are down. Their best player is fumbling in crunch time. They basically got nothing out of most of their role players yesterday. You know, Maxie's struggling. Tobias Harris is struggling. They had to bench Jalen McDaniels outright because he's been bad in this series. And yet still, their star players are, are good enough, or James Harden, I should say, was good enough yesterday, that they found a way to win. And those are games in the past, I think. Boston goes on the big run. They just – it's a back-breaking – awful loss and it's three to one Boston and they go up and they, they lose game five on the road. Now I think you can say, we don't know what's going to happen. These two teams are close enough. Boston is bipolar in a lot of the same ways that the Sixers are. They have every chance to win two out of three games and potentially go to their first Eastern conference finals in over 20 years. Kyle, what do you make of the coaching right now through four games? Um, you know, typically in these series, Boston has been, I felt better coached, but I'm, I don't think that's the case this year. And it's interesting watching Missoula and like, I, I think his idea and their idea of like, Hey, let's just run and shoot as much as we can. We'll win in the end. Typically it makes sense. But I mean, Kyle, they ended regulation and overtime with smart taking the shot. Not that he's a bad player, but how, how is the, those shots? Not Brown or Tatum like, all right, run all day, but crunch time, it's gotta be Brown or Tatum. And neither of them, neither time was the ball in Brown or Tatum's hands to shoot the ball. Well, and I'll take it a step further, Joe. I can't believe that they're getting away from Jalen Brown yeah. late in these games, right? Like, he came out yesterday and was absolutely burning the Nets down. And game one, the other game the Sixers lost, he shot 80% from the field, and he only got 10 shots the entire game. Like, it, it seems – I'm flabbergasted that they're not just saying – let's give Jalen the ball and he'll figure something out because that guy looks like he's destroying basically anybody who's in front of him. So you're right. Like I, I think there's a degree of chaos and randomness in the Celtics offense that 
I think they're trying to, to lean into that. It makes them kind of unpredictable. You don't know who's going to attack from where and when. But the other side of it is you can get away from your star players. And, like, Jalen Brown looked like he was going to have, you know, maybe a 40-, 50-point game early in that game. He was outscoring the Sixers 12-11 to 11 after the first, like, three or four minutes of the game. So for him to end up with, I want to say, like, 24 or 23 points by the end of that game, that's just a colossal failure on their part to not hammer those matchups harder. Yeah, it is. Uh, let's look forward to here to game five here, Kyle. A couple things stand out to me. One, um, part, part of yesterday was Doc only played eight players, so they all played a lot of minutes. I think one of the guys only got five or six. I'm going to be Paul Reed. So we're talking about seven guys with a significant amount of minutes, including four of the starters over 40. Uh, are you worried fatigue is a factor for the Sixers tomorrow night with the one-day rest? I'd be slightly worried about that, but I'll be honest, Joe, I was worried about it coming into Sunday's game. I figured, you know, James Harden later in his career on a day and a half of rest would have been bad, and, you know, Joel Embiid with the injury was going to have nothing. Now, Joel wore down down the stretch, but, you know, James was as good as a guest yesterday. So it's one of those things that I'm just throwing up my hands and shrugging at the the rest factor at this point. It's going to all come down to – Late game execution, to your point, you know, does Doc go to eight guys again? I, I was expecting maybe they bring more guys into the rotation or at least different guys into the rotation on Sunday to give Boston a different look. And Doc said earlier in the series, there are some matchups where you only have eight guys who can play and it looks like he's settled on who his eight guys are. What would you make of the officiating yesterday? Uh, a lot, I thought quite a few questionable ones. I mean, obviously – the Joel charge on Smart was one they reviewed. I mean, Doc was very animated at the end that Tatum was not called for the offensive foul on on Maxi, and it just feels like on both sides, Kyle. There's a lot of plays in this series where there's clearly some sort of flopping going on, and the refs don't, just don't seem to have a handle on like, was that really a foul or did he just flop? Like they're they're confused half the time. Yeah, you know, I would say I think most of us watching these games don't want to see the officials decide games. And so we're all kind of accustomed to we know what playoff basketball looks like. It's tougher. You can play more physical on defense. It's part of why fans like playoff basketball compared to the regular season. But the the push off from Tatum yesterday is clearly way, way past the line of acceptable physicality. And if that game had ended with that shot and that obvious off-arm offensive foul, I think there would have been a lot of guys getting fined at the podium yesterday with their post-game comments. I was basically fine with the rest of the stuff. The, the clock charge decision on Marcus Smart, I, I thought it was wrong, but it was at least close. You got to get the obvious one on the right there. So that's, that's what I would say. There's there going to be a lot of different calls that either fan base is not happy with. You have to get the one like that Tatum one correct, or, or people are going to lose their minds and right Yeah, you do. It's, it's going to be fun. Game five tomorrow night up in Boston. Kyle, we appreciate hopping on. We'll be reading at the Philly Voice and, of course, listening to you and Elliot on the Clap Your Head podcast. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Always. Kyle Newbeck uh, joining us.